是台湾人，台湾人，台湾人。Welcome to Taiwan Yuan, where you'll hear stories of Taiwanese innovators, makers, and advocates. You can now support this project on Patreon and help me think of who to interview or what to ask. I'm your host Cindy, and today we're meeting with Jamie Lin, the president at Taiwan Mobile and founder of AppWorks. AppWorks is a startup accelerator, school, and fund all in one. Jamie and I talk about the startup scene in Taiwan, how it's changed. And why Taiwan is the best place to start a business? Let's get into it. Hi, Jamie. Tell us about yourself and your connection to Taiwan. My name is Jamie Lin. I'm 42 years old, turning 43. I was born and raised in Taiwan. I spent the best majority of my 42 years in existence in Taiwan. Did my college here in Taiwan. Started my first company here before I moved to Shanghai for two years, at the age of 24. And then New York at the age of 26, eventually came back to Taiwan when I was 32, and I've been living here in Taiwan since. So you're probably most famous for starting AppWorks. It's an accelerator in Taiwan. Can you tell us what AppWorks is and what prompted you to found this startup accelerator? Yeah. So my first job when I first I didn't even graduate from college, but anyway,、oh. my first job when I was 21, essentially a bunch of us started a company. So the first job I ever had was a founder, right?、Mm. And as a founder, you sort of—it's like the movie X Men, right? You're like a mutant, and so <laughs> every founder will have this sort of、oh、process in their story. They would sit down with their parents in the living room, telling their parents that they're not taking a job; they're starting a company.、Death. And their parents would immediately say, "Why wouldn't you take a job? Why do you want to be someone that is not normal?"、Wow. When we're watching the X Men movie.、Mm. You feel that that's like portrait of our、mm-hmm. life, right? And once you start company, your parents oftentimes wouldn't wish that you're successful. They feel that you're doing something dangerous, and they keep encouraging you to stop and go back to normal life. Right? <laughs> The funny thing is, two years ago, right, received this offer from Taiwan Mobile, which we're we're gonna talk about later, to also take the president job at this company. My mom finally thought that I was successful. <laughs> so, oh my god! <laughs> I was building AppWorks for such a long time, and it was already a successful, well-recognized firm. But my mom never thought that I was successful until a company finally offered me a job. So that tells you the things that we're going through as founders, right? So as founders, it's really lonely because you feel that people around you, your family, your friends. They don't want you to succeed. They want you to give up. They want you to go back to a normal life,、mm-hmm. more like theirs. Yeah. So it would only make you that much likely to want to give up because you don't. We're all human beings, right? We need support from people around us. If people are not supporting you, it makes you that much less determined, that much less want to stuck it out. So having that experience myself, when I Started upwards. I essentially want to start X Men school for <laughs> founders like me, right? So if all of us mutants can gather together, even though our family members, our friends, most of them don't support us, but if we can support each other, we can feel normal amongst each other. All of us have different special abilities. We can even help each other with our special abilities.、Mm-hmm. Then all of us can be can be that much more persistent, and maybe that will increase our probability of. 
building successful companies. So that is essentially the number one thought behind starting AppWords. Of course, the reason why I started it in Taiwan is because back at 2009, 2010, mm-hmm. that was the beginning of smartphone and realized that iOS and Android were going to make phones more commoditized. And Taiwan was very good at making hardware, but we're not so good at building software and all the software-based services and businesses on top of it. So essentially, I wanted to come back to Taiwan to help a bunch of founders start a whole wave of next-generation companies so that we can together propel the economy of Taiwan and create more jobs for people here. So essentially, that's the two things that got me to start AppWords. Mm -hmm. Let's go back in time then to 2010. (laughs) What was it like? Where What are the biggest differences of starting a company back in 2010 in Taiwan versus now? Back then, I think we need to rewind another 10 years. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so 1999, when I first started my e-commerce company, internet was really hot in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. We were a bunch of college kids and we just built this e-commerce website and VCs came knocking at our doors, mm-hmm. wanting to put money into our company. Back then, Taiwan was really bullish about internet. We really felt that internet was going to change everything. But by 2000, when Nasdaq crashed and 2001, Uh, September 11 happened. Everything came to a stop. And a lot of investors lost a lot of money Hmm. in internet startups. And it quickly turned into the sentiment against the internet. So the investment community felt that internet was a fad. They felt that internet was never going to make them money. And it's just a bunch of naive kids trying to build all these silly services without business models, right? And that sentiment remained for the next 9, 10 years. So by 2010, when I first moved back to Taiwan, when you talk about starting mobile internet companies, when you talk about helping the next generation launching uh, app-based services, most of the people in the investment community still feel that it's not going to be any different from 10 years ago. It's still going to be a bunch of naive young people launching all these products and services that eventually have no business models. So back then, most people in the investment community were not supportive of what we're doing. Mm. And then on top of that, also the smartest and the brightest, they had young people, they had a lot of options. Back then, HTC was mm-hmm. still one of the top three smartphone brands in the world. MediaTek was doing really well with their smartphone chips. And then companies like TSMC was doing really well. Companies like Acer, Asus Mm -hmm. were doing very well. So all of the smartest and brightest kids all wanted to work for these successful companies and not very many of them wanted to leverage the mobile internet paradigm to start their own company. So it's very hard to get the money side of the equation on board. It's also very hard to get the really talented kids to start startups. So that was sort of the context in 2010. So what's changed now? What are you seeing now? It's so funny, right? So now, (laughs) definitely a lot of the smartest kids, they feel that starting companies should be what they're doing, right? Especially around new paradigms like blockchain, DeFi, AI. If you look at people who are starting these companies, they're all the smartest kids from Taiwan or from around the region, right? And then not only did the investors started to invest in startups. These days, most of these companies have had their traditional businesses 
plateaued. Mm -hmm. And all of them are talking about transforming themselves, especially mm -hmm. digitally. And what's the number one strategy? Working with startups, right? So mm -hmm. if you open the news websites, every day you have bigger companies, CEOs saying mm -hmm. their number one strategy for 2021 going forward is to work with startups. So it's a dramatic change, right? Wow. Uh, 10 years ago, they feel that startups are just nothing. They're just like these small companies that would never have business models and they could care less about them. Fast forward, fast forward 10 years, now they're all talking about working with startups. So it's a dramatic 180 change. It's very funny if you've been here over the past 10 years to see <laughs> how these big companies uh, all of a sudden did a U-turn on their mindset towards startups. Yeah. Now our parents just have to get on board too. <laughs> That's a little bit harder. <laughs> yeah. But hopefully once they read enough news about the fact that all these big company CEOs are approving the concept of startups, maybe they'll feel better. But still it's hard because doing a startup is risky. And as parents, you don't want your kids to For sure. risky stuff, right? I understand that. Okay, so AppWorks, broadly speaking, is an accelerator supporting these startups. But can you share more about different ways AppWorks supports that startup community? I think the most important thing, 80%, 90% of value that we create for founders is our community, right? So we've been building this community over the past 10, 11 years. And there's already 395 active startups, around 1,300 founders that are in the community. And they're all from AppWorks. They all know how hard it is to be a founder. And they're all very passionate about helping each other mutants, <laughs> right? So when you join AppWorks, immediately you join this community, once they know that you're from AppWorks, whenever you have questions, you need them to help you with something, open doors, share their experience with this API, that payment gateway, this cloud provider to you. Immediately, they're that much more willing to help you or share with you without asking you to give them anything back because they all know that's the benefit of being in AppWorks. Everybody helps each other. So I think 80, 90% of the benefit you get from AppWorks is the ability to tap into this huge network of founders that are in various stages. So some of them have their companies as big as almost a decacorn. And then some of them would have a small team of five, right? But mm -hmm. they all of them would have different types of special abilities or special experiences that you can learn from or, or tap into. So this massive community is the biggest value that you get out of AppWorks. Of course, on top of that, we have the accelerator program during which we have activities to help you become a better founder. We would connect you with mentors that are 10, 20 years more experienced than you are. That would become your sort of lifelong coach to guide you as you learn to become a better founder. Mm -hmm. We have funds that can invest in your company as you find product market fit to help you accelerate your growth. We do have schools and various recruiting programs to help you scale your team. We mm -hmm. do have a master team that is consist of the PR professionals, mm -hmm. finance professionals, legal professionals, design professionals, recruiting professionals, and the whole nine yard to supplement your various mid-office and back-office functions. I think these are all smaller things. The biggest mm -hmm. value you get out of AppWorks is still this mutant community yeah. that are gung-ho about helping each other become better mutants. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. I think a lot of it too is that mental support, the emotional support. Yes. So if you look at the AppWorks startups over the past 11 years, so far only 31% of our founders have given up and go back to work for bigger companies. Wow. So still a good, almost 70% of our founders are still working on their startups. And if you compare that with average of regular startups, our survival rate is that much higher. And I would attribute that to the mental support that we give each other. And if you've been doing it for long enough, chances are you are probably more likely to succeed, right? Mm -hmm. So of the 395 startups you mentioned, do you have one that's the most (laughs) memorable? I know, I'm sorry. It's a hard question. Yeah, they're all my kids. So (laughs) they're all my favorite kids. There's one startup that I want to mention, but it's not because they're special, but it's just, uh, (laughs) they're as special as any of the other startups. But they found this new market that I'm still right now sort of puzzled to explain why this market exists, right? So so this startup is called Pick One, P-I-C-K-O-N-E. Mm. They started as portal to aggregate all of the event spaces in and around Taiwan. So mm. if you try to put together an event, finding the right venue is usually one of the most daunting tasks, right? So you have to, because mm-hmm. most of us don't, throw events all the time, right? So you're definitely not familiar with what are the venues out there. So oftentimes you start with gathering information on venues and you try to list out their attributes and then see which one will fit your needs. But sometimes the event itself is also a moving target, right? You don't know how many people are going to attend. You're not sure exactly what time you're going to host it, things like that. So you have both a lot of different options as venues and also your event itself being dynamic. And so you end up spending a lot of time just zeroing on the venue itself. So Piquan essentially tried to solve that problem for the event organizers. They essentially aggregated in most of the event spaces in Taiwan and list out their attributes, uh, prices, availability. So it makes it easier for you to just search and find a short list of venues that you can possibly use. But the problem with that is it's really hard to monetize that because mm-hmm. it's very easy for the organizers to then go around the platform and directly deal right. with the event spaces. Essentially, the, the spaces are not commodities. So the hosts will eventually target one or two spaces that re- they really want. At that point, it's, it's really hard for a platform to monopolize on the access to the spaces. So they've had this hard time monetizing this website, even though a lot of people are using it, a lot of people are (laughs) finding it very useful. Mm -hmm. But over time, they realized that, hey, there's this search, there's this type of demand that having a hard time finding third-party event spaces to fulfill. Mm -hmm. So people are oftentimes searching for meeting rooms on their website, but not a lot of people are building smaller meeting rooms as event spaces. So they ended up <laughs> start building some of these meeting rooms uh, uh, on their own to fulfill these demand. And as they start to build these smaller meeting rooms and put in on pick one for people to book, they realized that they just cannot build the meeting rooms fast enough <laughs> than the people that would want them. Mm-hmm. So they um, have been since building these meeting rooms for over the past four or five years. 
and they still haven't caught up with the demand. <laughs> so far, they have more than 200 meeting rooms around the city and for people to rent by the hour. Mm-hmm. And they're still mostly fully booked. <laughs> I just, I can imagine sometimes a company might have some meeting room overflow and you need to tap into one or two external meeting rooms. But it's really hard to imagine how much extra demand for meeting rooms, right? So I keep asking them, so who are the people who are building these meeting rooms? <laughs> yeah, what's and like, happening? It's all kinds of weird demands, right? So there's after-school classes. Right. So you have one tutor with a bunch yeah. of kids using it for a couple hours. It'll be like when airlines were still flying, people want to be flight attendants and there's a really high bar, right? You need to practice mm-hmm. not just... Uh, tests, but you need to actually practice your etiquette, things like mm-hmm. that. It would be a stock investment teacher who mm-hmm. would use a meeting room to teach his subscribers how to invest long or short stocks. They're like all kinds of this weird demands. And it's just very hard to imagine, wow, there are so many of these activities going around in a city that would require a meeting room, a, a third party, a standalone meeting room. And we never knew these type of activities exist right. or we never pay attention to these type of activities. And we never realized that, oh, there's actually, you can actually build a space dedicated to these type of activities, right? So this is the weirdest, most of the product market fits our startups ended up finding I could understand. But this is <laughs> one strong product market fit that they've found so far still, it still puzzles me. There are so many different scenarios that would demand a standalone hourly rented meeting room. <laughs> I love that. It's just, now it's almost a community center. <laughs> yeah, it's me. almost a community center. <laughs> it's almost a private coffee house, yeah. right? Like it replaces a lot of things you do in a public yes, cafe yeah. or a community center. Yes, very interesting. Mm, and that's a true pivot. It's a bit buzzword, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a true pivot. It's also, they ended up finding a good business model around mm-hmm. their pick one website. So they're still not charging most of the third-party venue owners, but they're making enough money from their own series of meeting rooms. They can support the pick one website for free. So people are still enjoying the pick one service for free. But for some people that would require meeting rooms, then they book from pick one the trier for a line of meeting rooms and pick one makes money off there. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just thinking, man, I want to be on that team. How fun <laughs> is that journey, right? Yeah. And they're always designing new spaces. Mm. Mm. Okay. So going back to AppWorks for a minute, when I did a tour there, I noticed a big map of Asia. And I know that you've said that AppWorks, Taiwan is the perfect hub for innovation across Southeast Asia. Tell us more about that or why do you think that is? Well, so essentially, I think Taiwan is a small economy, right? So we only have 22, 23 million people. And even though our GDP is around 600 billion, 700 billion, it's only 1% of the world's GDP, right? So as a standalone economy, you're not big enough. Even though we are deeply connected with the world's technology supply chain, But going forward, if you want Taiwan to thrive even more, you want to be belong to a regional Mm -hmm. economy, right? So traditionally, over the past 30, 40 years, as China gradually opened up, we promoted this idea of the greater China region, right? So we told 
the Western companies, if you want to tap into the growth of China, you want to see Taiwan as part of the market mm. and you set up a greater China headquarters in Taiwan and you leverage Taiwan to tap into the growth of China. That worked for a long while. Now China is so big that most of these companies would skip Taiwan and go directly into China. So Taiwan being a gateway into the greater China market is increasingly less true, right? Mm -hmm. But as that door gradually closes, another door I think is opening up, which is our neighboring countries in the South, right? And I think right now it's a time for Taiwan to think and tell the world that we're part of the greater Southeast Asia economy and Western countries can leverage Taiwan to enter into Southeast Asia. On top of that, because Southeast Asia is a fragmented market, right. I think each of the countries can also make use of some of the things Taiwan can offer. For example, Taiwan has this world-class tech supply chain, right? So as mm -hmm. we gradually sort of move into the Internet of Things era, there's a lot of the tech companies would have would need to have a lot of new things produced. And where else to produce these things, right? Taiwan is going to be a great partner for some of these companies to make sure that they produce the best IoT products. On top of that, there's also a great supply of engineering and programming talents, right? Throughout Southeast Asia, in many countries, as they develop their tech ecosystem, they're all realizing that they're in short supply of tech talents and they can tap into Taiwan for that. On top of that, Taiwan is also a sizable market compared to many of the Southeast Asian economies, right? So if you put us in the list of Southeast Asian countries, we're the second largest economy right behind Indonesia, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're a company operating out of Singapore, Vietnam, uh, Philippines, then if you can tap into the Taiwanese market, then you essentially doubled your addressable market. Mm -hmm. On top of that, you're talking about digital markets. Taiwan's e-commerce market is almost a 30 billion US dollar industry and it's one of the top 10 in the world. And it's still almost as big as the e-commerce market of the rest of Southeast Asia combined, right? So if you're an e-commerce player from Vietnam or Philippines, if you can tap into the Taiwanese market, then your addressable market is all of a sudden 10 times large, yeah. right? So Taiwan is still a sizable economy compared to the rest of Southeast Asia that you can tap into. And then finally, Taiwan has the largest capital market in this region. Mm. Uh, and it's uh, also heavily traded, right? So if you're a mid-sized uh, tech company, Taiwan might be your best avenue to go IPO at, right? Mm -hmm. So we've got this great mix of assets or special things that we can offer to the rest of the region, right? So besides positioning ourselves as the gateway into Southeast Asia for Western countries, I think we can also position ourselves as the provider of some of these great things to our uh, neighboring countries in the South. And I think if we continue to do that, we will be more connected to the regional economy. And then if we can do that, then it'll ensure the prosperity of Taiwan yeah. in the longer run and we can thrive together with our Southeast Asian friends. Yeah. And how have you adjusted AppWorks to basically support that growth? <laughs> so by 2015, we realized that uh, that's coming. So by 2015, we started saying that, okay, now that we have established ourselves in Taiwan, most of the smartest kids, when they're starting a company, they wanted to join AppWorks. Can we then turn around 
to invite some of the smartest kids from Southeast Asia to join mm-hmm. our accelerator. So we started recruiting from Southeast Asian markets and asked their founders to come to Taiwan to join AppWords. By 16, 17, we, that effort quickly was pretty successful. So by 2016, 17, we already started to have more than half of our incoming batch coming wow. from the rest of oh, the region. Yeah. Awesome. So, so ever since then, we have pretty um, passionately going around the region telling newer crops of founders that they can consider joining AppWords and this huge network of regional founders. Mm-hmm. And so every batch almost, we have around half or more of our incoming founders from these nationalities. That must be really fun. I guess the Taiwan-based teams are probably learning from them as well. Yes. So we've all studied in North America before, right? So if you go to Mm -hmm. colleges there, the the diversity of nationality is one thing that they really champion, right? So when you have people from diverse backgrounds, they all have something they can teach each other on. So we're very happy that Apple's right now is a diverse accelerator that would attract founders from most countries in the region. So every batch, when they meet each other, there's so much they can learn from each other. Okay, so we've been talking about AppWorks a lot, but we're sitting in Taiwan Mobile (laughs) office. So, you know, obviously you lead AppWorks, but you also lead Taiwan Mobile on a day-to-day basis. How do you balance the two? How do I balance? Well, I prioritize, right? So at any given moment, I would have things that need my attention. Sometimes it's from AppWorks, sometimes it's from Taiwan Mobile. And I just decide which project I need to put more attention to based on sort of the size of the matter, the urgency of the matter. And then I just prioritize. So I ended up spending around 40% of my time on AppWorks Matters and 60% of my time on Taiwan Mobile App uh, Matters. And do you find that one work inspires the other? Oh, definitely. Yeah. So Taiwan Mobile, the reason why they formed this alliance with AppWorks Uh was because they realized that they need to transform themselves, right? Mm. They can no longer rest on their laurel and Mm -hmm. be a comfortable Mm -hmm. player. They want to become a tech plus telco player. And as they transform, they need to add new growth engines and new business models on top of their telco infrastructure. And where else better to look for that, right? Of the airport startups are building new services and business models that almost all based on telco infrastructure, right? Mm-hmm. So the fact that I help so many startups in AppWords and uh, the learnings I extract from helping them would yeah. help me decide the best routes for Taiwan Mobile to transform itself. When I was helping AppWorks startups, in the beginning, it was a lot easier. In my first startup, at one point grew into uh, almost a 200-people company. And I was also, at one point, the general manager of our Great China operation. So I had some management experience and also some experience working at a company with 100, 200 people. So in the beginning, when Apple startups were a lot smaller, I can I was able to tap into my prior experiences and as I advised them, things like management, leadership. But later on, our startups, some of them started to grow really big, right? So mm. they would have 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 employees. Wow, yeah. I really feel that no prior experience to advise them, right? So when I try to give advices, I feel a little bit, not entitled, right? So right. I feel that I've never worked with 
thousand com- people accompanied before. Yeah. Like, why am I entitled to give any advices? But now that the yeah. president of Taiwan Mobile, it's, it's pretty big. Yeah, it's pretty big. So almost a ten thousand people company, mm-hmm. and I've been running it for a couple of years. So. Now, whenever the bigger AppWorks companies come to me with questions, right. I feel more confident mm-hmm. to advise them mm-hmm. how to manage a bigger company. So being president of Taiwan Mobile for the past two years also helped me become a better all-around advisor for yeah. our startups, I would say. So mm-hmm. I can now, our founders, all the way from ideation to early stage to mid-stage or even late stage when they're turning into a, a full-fledged corporate, I have enough experience on that end to give them some useful mm-hmm. advices. Yeah, that's awesome. And so you've talked about companies wanting to work with more startups. I read that you've started a growth hacking team inside <laughs> Taiwan Mobile. Yeah. So I wonder, other than just you know working with startups, are there values or ways of working within startups themselves that more established companies right can imitate or should think about? Oh, definitely, right? So one of the things that I try to introduce to Taiwan Mobile is this concept concept of data DNA, right? So data DNA means that you make decisions based on data, right? And you don't look at just big picture type of data, right? So you don't look at your target user's age or gender, and then you make a decision based on that. But rather, you actually track their user journey and you try to analyze Mm-hmm. what happened during the journey and what kind of point when you can better insert your product or service or your tool to help them have a better journey, right? So, and in digital companies, we all are very used to doing that. Startups mm-hmm. are always looking at data, but in the bigger companies, traditionally, they're more used to looking at the bigger picture data, the average, the gender. Right. So ever since I joined Telemobile, I, been trying to introduce this data DNA. Mm-hmm. But if you're just looking at the data and you're not producing in actionable insights or you're not actually fixing what's wrong, then you're just looking at the data. It's also still not very useful. So you need to somehow demonstrate that you can close the loop and actually make the user's experience better and grow your user base or your revenue then that's a complete picture, right? So that was basically the thought behind starting the growth hacking right. team, right? So the growth hacking team is basically an end-to-end small squad that are able to go from extracting the data, looking at data, finding the actionable items, and actually go into one of our products and fix the product mm-hmm. and then track how the fix is going and prove that their version of the product is able to generate more usage or more retention or more revenue. Mm -hmm. And then once they start to do that, that becomes case studies for the rest of the company. Mm -hmm. So the rest of the company can say, oh, so if you look at that data, you can generate that insight and then you can fix that problem. And then actually revenue grew or profit grew. (laughs) So it becomes this demonstration unit within the company that is vertically integrated and are able to actually quickly iterate and produce small to medium successes to inspire the rest of the company to Mm -hmm. do the same. So it's essentially a startup within a company and it's there to promote this data DNA. I love that you're fostering (laughs) innovation, you know, obviously starting with startups, but also within these large companies. What is your hope 
for Taiwan's economy? What is my hope? <laughs> I think my hope for Taiwan's economy is I wanted to do well. Most of my friends and family are are Taiwanese, right? So I want I wanted to do well. But now that I also have a lot of friends in Southeast Asia. So I also want the fact that Taiwan is doing well be beneficial to the rest of the region. And then on top of that, I think Taiwan has cracked something really special, right? Uh, if you look at a lot of the more developed economy in the world, they have this higher GDP per capita. If you talk to them or if you stay or live in their countries or cities, you realize that people are not entirely happy about their lives, right? So mm. people are richer, but they are not more fulfilled spiritually. Mm. They, you feel that they're, when I was in Shanghai or New York, I feel most people yeah. there have some sort of hole in their soul, right? They're busy making money. They're busy surviving. They're busy overtaking others, but they're not happier with their lives. Sometimes we feel that they're sadder. And the reason why I feel that way was because in Taiwan, you don't feel that. In Taiwan, you feel that there's a great alignment of economic development and people's spiritual lives. People's, people are generally happy. People are happy enough. They actually want each other to be happier, right? So in Taiwan, you feel that it's very easy to get help. People are helpful. People want you to feel happy. So I, I feel that we have this special formula of developing both economy and life and culture. Mm -hmm. And if we can somehow share that amongst the region, then I think the emerging Southeast Asian countries can end up being more like Taiwan and less like New York or Shanghai, where economy is developed, but people are suffering. So I think that's something that I'm even more passionate about. I want Taiwan to be a case study for the rest of the world. And I am truly passionate about making more human beings' lives, more sense of fulfillment, more sense of happiness, and people can be happier around each other and people can make lives better for each other. And I think that's a better world if we can have that. Yeah, so that's what my hope yeah. is for Taiwan and for the rest of the world. To learn about AppWorks, go to appworks.tw. The next round of startup applications will open in the spring of 2021. Remember to rate, subscribe, and support us on Patreon. Thank you for listening. Taiwan Jiayou.